This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, May 30th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Student loan balances in the United States now top $1.5 trillion, and that number has grown rapidly in recent years. Do student loans really facilitate academic achievement and success in the workplace? And if so, is it worth the costs in higher prices and the cost to taxpayers in the form of defaults and loan forgiveness? Cato's Diego Zuluaga and Neil McCluskey comment. So the first thing to mention is that student loan debt has been increasing steadily and quite rapidly uh, since the early 2000s. And as you say, it's past the $1.5 trillion mark, which exceeds uh, existing auto loan balances. Uh, It's a much smaller figure than mortgage debt, uh, which is in the $13, $14 trillion range. But we have to remember that in the case of mortgage debt, you are backing that borrowing with collateral that often accounts for a significant value uh, of of the loan taken out. So it's not necessarily a like-for-like comparison because student loans don't have any collateral other than the future earning power of the person borrowing. All right. So... uh you know what 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 did it look like 10 years ago what did it look like 15 years ago student loan debt well it was uh, about half the level or less than half the level in in 2005 than it is uh, today. Uh, a lot of it has had to do and maybe Neil can comment on this as well uh, with the steady rise in tuition fees, uh, part, partly a removal of uh, state level uh, support for higher education um, and you know the uh, entry into the higher education market of much larger numbers of people. So college participation is uh, at record highs and it's been encouraged both from the government and also it's you know socially very favorably viewed upon. And, and I think all of those things have contributed to the, to the rise in the nominal value of these loans. Neil, uh, what has changed in how student loans get done uh, in recent years that, that might have helped drive this? Well, there are a whole lot of things that drive uh, student borrowing. Uh, there were ca- – I'm sorry, not caps. There were increases in uh, the amount that somebody could borrow. Uh, that was probably 12 or 15 years ago. Um, there has been the issue of states supposedly uh, decreasing their support for colleges. I think it's very hard to say oh, which came first, You know, what's cause or effect. Um, there's good reason, actually, and there is some evidence that states have not raised on a per pupil basis their own funding for colleges as much as they might have, in part because they know that students increasing can get student loans to pay for college. Um, And there's been an increase, generally speaking, not just in student loans, uh, but in Pell Grants and other subsidies for colleges or for, to pay for college. And then I think a major driver that we've seen uh, that maybe isn't talked about as much is the federal government has created new loan forgiveness programs. There's public service loan forgiveness. There's income-based repayment, where after if you've paid, uh, I think it's 20 years um, of on-time payments, you don't have to pay the remainder. And there's a, there was a survey that came out a couple of months ago. I don't remember the exact percentage, but it was somewhere in 50% or more, I believe, leave of student borrowers thought they'd never actually have to pay back their loans because the federal government and the Obama administration made a really concerted effort to try and advertise loan forgiveness. And so I think another driver is people take on this debt and they don't actually think they're going to have to repay it. Um, And there is a sort of vicious cycle where we decided starting really in the 1970s that we were going to subsidize 
everybody who wanted to go to college in some way or another. So we're not just talking about GI Bill or something like that, but where a very broad swath of Americans could get some sort of subsidy. And that's what a student loan really is if it comes from the federal government. And that leads to a vicious cycle of more people getting degrees, which puts more pressure on other people to get a degree to compete in the labor market. And what we've seen is that these degrees have actually come to signify less and less learning. So lower literacy rates among degree holders, less studying among people who go to college. And so a big it's become sort of a, a it's like snowballed where you start to give some people subsidies and more and more people have to consume, require more and more subsidies. And, of course, colleges are normal, rational actors, and they say, we've got lots of things we think are important to do. We need the revenue to do it, and one way we can get it is raise prices that we know people can pay because they can get these loans that enable them to do it. Is that a chicken and egg problem, the the price increases versus the ability to get access to funds to go to college through loans? Um. It's sort of a chicken and egg problem. So now it's definitely that's the problem is we would like to say, look, we shouldn't be giving out all these loans because we know that the loans lead to price inflation. But because it's built into the labor market, this demand for – for credentials, for degrees, that if you're to say we're going we're gonna to cut uh, these loans, lots of people say, but then we couldn't get the degree we have to have because you've been giving these loans. Um, uh, what we need to start to do, though, is we've got to sort of accept reality. Um, and there is some effort to do that. There's something called the PROSPER Act, which is a House proposal to um, reauthorize the Higher Education Act that would start to say, you know, we can put some caps on how much people are allowed to borrow, that schools would be able to do that. Um, and so there's some recognition now that that student aid fuels tuition prices, that it fuels credential inflation. And the way we stop these vicious cycles is we've got to start to put a harness on aid. But politically, that's extremely difficult because the per person person who proposes it is immediately labeled as anti-education or against skills or against poor people or something like that. I think an important point to highlight uh, as far as the impact of these loans on tuition fees is concerned is that there is absolutely no what's called in in, in finance risk pricing uh, as far as the borrowers are concerned. So normally when you borrow some money, the interest rate you have to pay is adjusted by how likely you're uh, to repay the money that you borrowed, how much you borrowed, and what you intend to do with it. Uh, in the case of uh, higher education loans, you don't have that. People borrowing the same amount of money will face the same interest rate which is normally subsidized and it's set by the federal government and their decision as to which major they pursue and what job they take afterwards uh, and uh, other socioeconomic uh, traits that might be relevant as far as repayment probability is concerned uh, cannot be taken into account and aren't taken into account. And that I think makes the market signals that normally lead people to only borrow for productive things to be uh, very significantly blunted. And it probably leads uh, people who, who wouldn't otherwise borrow uh, to borrow more money. Strangely, also, the Obama administration, uh, so several years ago, uh, tried to put some controls on PLUS loans, which are a certain kind of loan that a parent can take out or a grad student can take out, uh, that would have sort of, I think it was PLUS loans, might have been another category of loans, but that said, we will condition how much or what kind or whether you can take a loan out based on your financial history. 
And the reason that that is somewhat ironic is, one, because it came from the Obama administration. You think maybe that would come from a Republican administration. But more importantly, the idea of student loans is supposed to be that you can get access to higher education regardless of your own financial background. And so what would have seemed to make some sense is to say what we need to do is assess the academic profile of a potential borrower and what they want to study, not their credit background, and see if it makes sense for them to go to college because they will complete a program where they can get a job and they can be reasonably expected to pay it back. Nobody talks about making uh, assessing a potential borrower based on their um, demonstrated ability to do college-level work in an area where they have a good expectation of getting a job and paying it back. But we have, strangely said, briefly, it was very quickly um, overturned, but we did say, well, for a particular type of loan, we'll look at your credit history. Now, uh, Diego, you mentioned risk pricing and how the the signals that are sent out to both borrowers and presumably just but through with uh, federal guarantees, the providers of uh, loans as well, there is very little cost to be paid by lenders to not provide access to uh, these loans to people because these loans are not dischargeable in bankruptcy. How important is that? Quite significant, I think. Um, the federal government always stands behind uh, the loans that uh, have its guarantee. So it's taxpayers, ultimately, that are liable for any balances that remain uh, unpaid. And so any discussion in which we talk about loan forgiveness and helping people um, uh, get forward in, in life and you know make sure that they don't face a burden very many years into uh, their uh, entry into the labor market has to have the understanding that taxpayers are liable for whatever uh, isn't paid for by the borrower. And that's often uh, ignored in discussions. I think the absence of risk sharing by colleges uh, as well is very important. Imagine an environment in which colleges were also uh, supposed to uh, have skin in the game in terms of how much money they w- was lent to the students that they taught. Uh, in that case, you would see much more, uh, much more distinguishing being made between uh, potential applicants so that only the people who would actually benefit from the education and go onto the labor market uh, to be productive and therefore repay the loan would uh, obtain that education. Right now, colleges only have the upside from uh, increasing the student population and very little of the uh, downside. But that's the structure that the federal government has created through a lot of these programs. Neil McCluskey, uh, with respect to um, you know colleges trying to make determinations and having some sort of skin in the game when it comes to uh, making sure that the people who attend their university and owe some money uh, are the right people for the for the right school to to get the right skills to go out and and earn a productive uh, living. Are for profit colleges at all uh, special in that regard? Well, for profit colleges disproportionately take. St- Students who are from a non-traditional background and who have the most challenges. So they tend to be older. They often already have a family. They're often already working full time. Uh, And so clearly for-profit colleges are dealing with the students who are more on the margins, who are more likely uh, to not complete a program. And it's really important to understand that it's not typically the people who have the biggest debt who have the most trouble paying it back. It's people with small debt who've gone to college and not completed because for many reasons, 
uh, they haven't been able to do it. Sometimes they really can't fit in their schedule. Sometimes they're just not prepared for college. But it is important to understand it's those people on the academic margin, really, who don't have the biggest debt, but they're most likely to default. The Wall Street Journal ran a sort of a profile last uh, last few days uh, of somebody who was an orthodontist and had over a million dollars in debt. And that is an extreme example even for media coverage of student debt. But the norm for media coverage of student debt is always an outlier of somebody who has a really big debt. And that's not most of the people, most people don't have debts that big. Certainly most don't have a million dollars. And the ones who have it aren't the ones typically who are struggling the most because they've gone to graduate school and have greatly increased their future earnings. Um, and so it is these for-profit colleges, but it's also community colleges and lots of non-competitive admissions four-year colleges that take these people on the academic margins. And here's where the danger is. So it makes some intellectual sense to say if you're the college that takes kids you know are or students, because increasingly they're not kids, but students who are high risk of not completing, um, that you are going to be – you're going to have skin in the game. You're going to be responsible for some of the debt that they default on. The danger is that you are really going to be – First of all, punishing the schools that are willing to deal with those students um, and that quickly you will see whole sorts of segments of higher education that are told this won't apply to you. So if you're a traditional – if you're certainly if you're a public college university, it will be written in the law pretty quickly, I think, uh, that – Skin of the game doesn't apply to you because you're a good, not-for-profit, public institution, and so you're just trying to do good. So you're not responsible for this because you're dealing with, with students on the margins. Community colleges, I think, would very quickly be brought under that. You'd see it less quickly but still applied to not-for-profit private college universities because, yes, they're private, so they're suspect, but they're still not-for-profit. But you'd see the hammer put down, as we've seen over and over on for-profit schools, because politicians like to demonize them because they are honest about trying to make a profit. So it sounds good. I think intellectually it makes some sense for colleges to have skin in the game, but politically it's not going to work out in a way that does what we want. There is a uh, loan servicer that the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has gone after recently, Navient. Uh, Diego, what, where did Navient come from? So Navient is a student loan servicer that was uh, spun out from Sally May, formerly government-owned, uh, and it's in charge of collecting payments from uh, people who have borrowed uh, under guarantee from the federal government to pay for their studies. Now, the accusation from the CFPB is that Navient didn't do its, its um, uh, obligation as far as finding the best repayment plans is concerned for the borrowers whose loans it services. So the specific concern is that people who uh, failed to make payments for a prolonged period of time were put into what is called forbearance, where they're still charged interest, rather than moved into one of those income-based repayment plans that Neil talked about earlier, where you pay a fraction of what you earn, and if you don't earn uh, above a certain threshold of income, you don't pay anything back. Now, the first thing to say is that the investigation has, be hot, has been hotly contested. It's been going on for over a year. Uh, it was launched right around the time that the CFPB was involved in a mire of controversy with a new administration coming in and the former director about to exit. So there's a certain amount of suspicion about uh, where the investigation came from. And, and lately, the CFPB has struggled to uh, prove its allegations with any of the documentation that it's been given. Now, with that said, uh, Navient, of course, disp disputes the charges, uh, but also it 
it must be said that Navient is acting as an agent of the federal government. And so it, if it acts in the, in the service of the federal government, it may find itself in conflict with the borrowers at some stages. So we find ourselves in a situation where the federal government is an interested party on both sides. And so any enforcement that was uh, undertaken against Navient could put it in a position where it's not fulfilling its fiduciary duty in the appropriate way as far as servicing federal government loans is concerned. It's a very bizarre situation. And I, and I you know, just from personal experience, I can tell you that uh, in dealing with uh, student loan servicers, there are errors are frequent, Mi- not just mistakes, but just you know, not a- any level of due diligence is uh, is applied, and funds are often misapplied. Is is Navient supposed to be special in this regard? I think a lot of those problems come from the fact that the incentives are heavily misaligned. Here you have a group of people who are supposed to be making payments, but there are a lot of situations and conditions under which uh, they ha- they can pay less, or they can pay later, or they can pay at a lower rate, or they face lower fees. Uh, their incentive to stay informed as to how much they're paying uh, is less in the, in, in the process. And you have a creditor as well, which isn't really concerned about the level of repayment. Rather, it's contracted out this uh, duty to somebody else. But as part of its effort to promote higher education, uh, it is actively promoting, as Neil was saying, uh, loan forgiveness to borrowers. So it isn't particularly interested in obtaining repayment either. And you have a private sector uh, intermediary somewhere uh, in the transaction that is fulfilling its duty, but facing the looking at the attitudes of uh, both borrowers and lenders in this particular market probably doesn't, uh, in some cases, have the same strong incentive uh, to monitor how transactions are processed than it would in a more competitive market. But I, I do think that the, the, the blame there would lie more with the structure of the system rather than any individual provider. Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of, the whole student loan history, if you think of it, is sort of a quagmire because Navient's a spinoff of Sally May. Sally May was a government-created institution uh, to back student loans. And so the federal government has been sort of the 800-pound gorilla in student lending since at least the 1970s. And this is sort of a matter of the federal government kind of giving out exclusive contracts, which is Navient, is that's almost its only business, and maybe its only business, is servicing these loans. And so it gives out contracts for the loans that the federal government doesn't have a direct incentive in getting repaid or not getting repaid. And they create all these kind of corporate-ish sort of monopolies. And then they try and hold them responsible. And none of it has market forces acting in it. It's all the government, various tentacles of the federal government sort of of like slapping each other, saying, don't do that, do this, don't do the other thing. And there is no ordinary supply and demand or the people who are making the loan have an incentive to make sure that they're giving it to somebody who can use it productively and are going to be able to pay it back so that everyone benefits. It's the federal government through, you know, political incentives, as they've been doing for decades, saying, well, we're going to We're going to make sure you get all the money anybody could possibly ever want to go to college. And then if things don't work out well, we'll we'll blame these people we've given exclusive contracts because they're sort of companies and say it's their fault. And nobody ever sits down and says, federal government, this is your fault. You may have been well-intentioned with student lending, but it isn't working out well. And we can tell why it isn't because the political incentives are just to give out as much money as you can and then grandstand when things go wrong. So what is the fix here? If if I were just off the top of my head, I, my thought is 
get rid of federal federal guarantees for student loans and certainly don't uh, have the federal government be directly involved in lending. But also, I would say to get to get lenders uh, to have some skin in the game, let students discharge these loans in bankruptcy. Yeah. So ultimately, we want to go to a true free market in student lending. Um, which is, and it doesn't have to be student lending. It could be student investing. And we we had a paper came out in two thousand one, I think it was, about human capital contracts. Um, there are other ways of framing that, but basically, an investor puts money into a student, and then they expect an you know x amount of their income over a certain amount of time as their return on investment. And that's better than loans because you don't have a set payment no matter what you're earning. But to move to some sort of free market, and let's say funding students. And then you're absolutely right. Then it makes sense to say these loans can be dischargeable in bankruptcy. It shouldn't be easy, but it can be done. It's a totally different thing if you're talking about private lenders who are taking their own risk with their own money and they know that it's going to be dischargeable in bankruptcy. So some people have proposed, let's do that right now to currently existing loans. You shouldn't go back and change the rules after the loan's been made. But then if you have dischargeable in bankruptcy, all private loans, then you've got the right balance of risk. The lender is taking a risk. The borrower has a risk. And it's no third party's money involved against their will. I think the connection to between education and employment uh, needs to be closer, and I think a market-based system would lead to that. If if a higher education is supposed to give you the skills to be employable, then one would imagine that there will be an, an incentive in a competitive market for employers to approach people and say, I will pay for your training provided you fulfill this and that and this other condition and remain with me uh, for this amount uh, of years. And similarly, a college that is genuinely producing uh, more productive people as a result of the training it gives them wouldn't necessarily have a problem in bearing part of that burden during the time of repayment in the same way that an auto lender lending to people uh, is often prepared to to give financing and, and provide its own uh, line of credit for people buying loans from an individual leadership, leadership dealership. Um, and therefore, you know, I think very much along the lines that uh, Neil was suggesting, what you want is a system in which the promises of higher education uh, are aligned with the rewards and not one in which uh, the downside is outsourced to people who derive no benefit from uh, the whole transaction. Diego Zuluaga is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute, and Neil McCluskey directs Cato's Center for Educational Freedom. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.